Let's head in our Bibles to Psalm 128. 128. If you don't have sermon notes, raise your hand. The fellows will give that to you so we can do our Bible study this evening and move along as we talk about the family some more. If you haven't been with us, what we've been talking about is faith's facts for the families, talking about a variety of different things. And tonight was probably the message I should have done at the very beginning, and I wanted to get into some of this last week and just ran out of time. And so I want to back up and do a little bit more study out of this text that talks about the priorities and how to have a happier home and what you can do to just build on that joy that comes from your family. Let's be honest. There's a lot of passages that talk about the family that give you some ideas. We can start looking at some of those different texts and we can say, okay, the man shall leave his father and mother, which we talked about. We could talk about Psalm 127, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. We could talk about the Ephesian passages, husbands love your wives, which we will be talking about over the next two, three weeks. And the, the passages about wives in that passage, reverencing the husband. We could talk from Ephesians 6, which we did a couple weeks ago, and that was about being the perfect child, how to do that, children obey your parents and the Lord. This is a, a text that we're shifting over to, Psalm 128, that isn't your normal family Bible passage that picks up that talks about family. And yet when you look at it, it's a tremendous passage of Scripture. Let me read it out loud together. As you follow along, I'll read out loud. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord that walks in his ways. For you shall eat the labor of your hands. Happy shall you be, and it shall be well with you. The wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of, the, uh, of thy house. Your children like olive plants round about your table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord. The Lord shall bless you out of Zion. You shall see the good of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Yea, you shall see your children's children and peace upon Israel. It's an interesting psalm. It's apparently written by King Solomon is our understanding that he wrote it after his father had written most of the psalms. And it's a psalm that was used on a regular basis when they were traveling, when they were doing a variety of uh, trips to the temple, which we'll explain in a few moments. There's a recurring theme in the psalm. If you look at it, it shows up in the English, that word that shows up that we read blessed. It is coming from the Hebrew word, two different ones that are intertwined in this text, Asher and Barak, the idea of blessing, joy, peace, fulfillment, contentment. It's the idea of being genuinely comfortable, enjoying what you're doing. And so this word keeps on showing up, which is almost like the Beatitudes, blessed, 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 where Christ is giving an idea of how to have real peace and real contentment. The psalmist talks about these blessings coming into your life in several areas. Now remember, we're talking to Jewish people in particular who are living in a culture where physical blessings were very, very important. Having children was very important, indicated that you were being blessed the Lord. Having a bank account was very important. It was in a culture that, that the rains and the sunshine were very important, indi indicative of God's blessing upon you. With that in mind, he is saying in this passage, I'm going to bless you with personal health. It shall be well with you. Blessed are you know, the person that fears the Lord. Here's one of the blessings he's going to get. Here's the joys he's going to get. He's going to even enjoy the blessings of his job, the fruits of his labor, the labor of his hands. So I'm going to bless you in your work. That makes sense. If you're the farmer back in the days of Israel, if you're a shepherd back in the days of Israel, if you are taking care of the temple work in the days of Israel, God blessing your job was very, very important. Then he talks about how I'm going to bless your community, your country. In 
talking to them saying, I'm going to bless Israel, the land, the chosen people. And if you, if you fear me, here's some of the blessings. It's going to come upon you socially, personally, physically. It's going to embark. And he talks about in this passage how it's going to come upon you and your family. He talks about children. He talks about husbands. He talks about wives. He talks about grandkids. And so this text talks about family. And in particular, he makes it clear that he's talking blessings upon dads in this text. In this text, he's talking, and it seems like he's addressing the men because he talks about your wife. He's talking about you shall see your children. So he's talking to an individual who's married, who has a family, and so it seems to be that the men are the ones that are basically getting the first address here. They're the ones in particular that he's talking to. And so he mentions to them that you're going to see all these blessings, and remember men who are the, who are the lead laborers, the men who are the lead protectors, the, one, the men in that culture who are the leaders in the social area, I'm going to bless you. But he doesn't just mention the men, he does mention the ladies in this text. He does mention how he's going to bless the moms, the wives in the text. In verse 3, we, as we read, you look at it, as it's, you're holding it, the wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of the house. <clears throat> now that may not be, sound real complimentary that he's comparing you to a vine growing on the side of your house. <clears throat> You know, you may not, may not find that, but remember, if you were living in a culture where things were producing crops, things were producing gardens, that idea of a vine growing at the house, this is something very, very positive. This is something that would be very complimentary. And what he's talking about is he's talking about the grapevines that grow by the side of the house. And remember, if you're back in that time period, the grapevines were very, very important because the water was very, very bad. And so this was, a, this was going to become and provide your daily sustenance, your daily beverage was going to be provided. And he's saying, you know, the moms, the women, they're going to be like this daily sustenance for the household. Those that fear me, I'm going to bless them in a marvelous way that they're going to provide refreshment. They're going to provide relief. They're going to provide comfort, which wine did. Wine was medicinal. Wine was refreshing. The wines of those days were used to just help in every which way that you and I can think of. It was that which carried people through troubles, that which people used when they celebrated. It was a very important commodity, and he's saying that's the way the wives will be. Now, don't take offense in the text when you read it where he talks about you being a fruitful vine. Remember, in that culture, having a large family was really, really being blessed of God. And so he's talking to a group of people <clears throat> who this is really, really positive. I'm going to give you all the blessings that you can think about, that you can imagine. As a mother growing up in Israel, as a lady growing up in Israel, this was going to be just something really positive. He mentions in this passage Okay, not only the dads and the moms, but he does mention kids in the passage. Then I'm going to bless them. I'm going, to, I'm going to prosper them. We read about that when he makes the comment. He says, your children shall be like olive plants around your table. Yea, you shall see your children's children, your grandchildren in the peace upon Israel. What he does is he makes the kids, as he's talking to them, he says, you're going to be like the olive tree or the olive shrub that would grow into the tree. Now, understand, if you were living in that country at that time, in the ancient Near East, the A&E uh, abbreviation, if you were back there in that culture, this was very complimentary comparing you to something that, that was really important to that day. Remember, this was a common tree. This was the national tree of Israel. This is something they were proud of, these olive plants, these olive trees. And it was something that is, the comparison is very interesting. It would take 15 to 20 years, the trees in that region, before they become fruitful. 
Isn't that interesting? He says your kids are going to be like the olive plant that takes about 15, 20 years to get them to that point of maturity. And so he says they're going to be like that, but remember the olive trees that would come from these plants, they were really, really, really important. Now the tree itself was gnarly and twisted, typically, of that Middle East region. And, and there's a whole bunch of comparisons right there with kids, okay, that could be made. But he's making the comment that he says that these trees, for all their gnarliness, they were beautiful to the Jews. Hosea talks about the beauty of the olive tree. The olive that was used in their culture was food. The olive was used for medicines. The olive was used for getting light in the house. The olive um, uh, product was for perfume. Yeah, perfumes. I can say it. I know I can. For cooking. Everything. And it was used even in religious activity for anointing people. So when you talk about comparing kids to this olive tree and the product of it, Man, he's saying that this is something tremendous. This is something beneficial. This is something that, that we need. And this is so important to every aspect of our life. And so we can make the analogy and say, okay, the symbolism is clear. Kids can't be gnarly at times. Well, my kids were, okay? And kids, could you think, is there any hope for them? Or you know, are they going to turn out right? And yet he's saying they are beautiful to the parents. They are wonderful. They take time to mature, but man, can they be a blessing. And they can benefit you. They can benefit the, the community. They can benefit society as a whole. They can be used of God in some tremendous ways. Talking about the teens here, which are classic examples. The teens are a portrait of this idea. I said they've grown up, so many of them, and they are just a blessing, and they portray the beauty of the family and love for the Lord. And so in this text, he's talking about families and how they can enjoy all these blessings and how the kids can grow up <clears throat> to really honor the Lord and be used of God. How the husbands can really be, make an impact the right way and the wives can really be used. Every aspect of the family is involved. Even grandparents are alluded to and grandkids are alluded to in this verse 6. And he's talking about, okay, all those blessings upon them, how do we get there? How do we get there that we as dads, we as moms, as husbands, as wives, as grandkids and grandparents, as young people, how do we get there that we're happy, blessed, enjoying these, these inner and outer blessings of the Lord and having a peace and a contentment and a joy and enjoying the relationship of our family? Well, that's what this text is about. This text is reminding people as they are marching to worship, and it's interesting, that's what it's used for. We'll, I'll, I'll mention it later and just gloss over it then. But it's used, one of the songs that were song, sung as a family, as you are marching into Jerusalem, the song of ascents, you're rising up the terrain, the hill, going up to the city, and you're getting ready for worship once you enter into Jerusalem, and you're singing this song that's talking about family and how God can bless all of us if we worship Him right, if we serve Him right, if we do what's right, in fact, let me put it this way, to have the blessings that this passage is talking about for wherever you're at, if you're married, if you're single, if you're a grandchild or grandparent, if you're a teen or if you're the parent going through the gnarly times, this passage talks to you about what you need to have real joy, real peace in your home, in your relationship with your fellow family members siblings, parents, kids, anybody, the spouse. What do you do? What do I do according to this text 
to improve upon that idea of God blessing us in a phenomenal way. Now, I've put up here some other verses talking about the benefits of the kids and how they are such a blessing and such a joy. But let's bring it down. Psalm 128 tells us what's required to experience such joy and happiness in our homes, in our relationships. Here's what it is. Six different thoughts that come from the passage. Number one is this. To be blessed this way, you need to make God your priority. Now this is going to be the bulk of the message and all the other points are going to flood to this as we go through it. But let's spend the bulk of our time right now talking about God being the priority. He says it in the text. He starts off at the very beginning. Blessed is everyone that fears the Lord, that walks in his ways. He talks about that again in verse 4. Behold, he says that, thus shall the man be blessed that fears the Lord talks about God being the priority, walking in his ways, paying attention to the Lord. You know, we can talk about the family, and it is a phenomenal, when you think about it, what a phenomenal institution that God created. To take care of loneliness, to take care of, of fulfillment, to take care of encouragement, to take care of support, God puts families together. And what a phenomenal tool you can most, everyone here can look at some family member that has been a blessing to them, that is still a blessing to them, that has helped them in the times that have been difficult and trialsome, and how important that family member. God is so gracious to give us families, to create that environment so that we have somebody, we have people that we can rely upon, even as we go through years and even after there's changes in the family, the family unit. What a phenomenal creation by God Almighty. Just something so special, so neat. And yet, think this through. For as great as the family is, it's not the most permanent of relationships. In fact, our relationship with our kids is designed to change. They're supposed to leave father and mother and cleave unto their spouse. For as great as parenting is, and remember that moment. Some of you are are just experiencing it. Some of you are, you know, it's been short term. Some of us, it's been quite a while since that time where we brought them home. But those little beings that all of a sudden intruded into our life and changed our life drastically, how precious they are. How wonderful they are. And the fact is they grow up too fast. And it's a joy that they're, to watch them grow up. And then it's an even greater joy to have grandkids. I used to hear you people say this. People say, wait until you have grandkids. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now that I'm a grandparent, it's, it's greater than parenting. Because you can send them home. Okay, there we go. Okay. But they are such a delight. They are such a blessing. We joke about some, the, the, just that family. It's, but that's all temporary. In fact, the most permanent earthly relationship is to be husbands and wives. And even according to the Gospel of Matthew, that is not eternal, right? Yeah, because when we get to heaven, we'll be like the angels that neither give nor are given in. Now, that doesn't mean, I don't believe this. I've come after that study on heaven. I come to the conclusion that doesn't mean I won't know who Deb is in heaven. And I won't have any of our memories. I think I'm still going to love her in heaven. And I think that she's still going to be a very, very integral part of my of my feelings when we get into heaven, but they will be overwhelmed by the feelings of Jesus Christ. And it won't be the same as it is right now. It'll be a better relationship with the Lord, a superior one, but I don't think I'm going to forget who my kids are. I don't think that in eternity it's like, okay, I don't know, your name was, oh, did we ever meet before? Yeah, you raised me. I don't think that's going to be the case. 
I think we have those memories and we have those feelings, but we have a greater love that we'll understand better for the Lord that will be more satisfying that quite frankly, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way, the Lord will satisfy all those needs I have even better than Deb can satisfy them and make that relationship the more, the more blessed relationship. And so not to diminish marriage in any way, shape, or form, but it's not permanent for eternity. The relationship that is the most permanent, therefore the most priority relationship, has got to be our walk with the Lord. In fact, Jesus put it this way. Jesus said, he that loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Jesus said, he that loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Now, you think that through, what he's saying and how he's laying it down. He doesn't say that we shouldn't love our kids and shouldn't love our parents, but who is the priority of our life? That, that, this is a challenging lifestyle that he's calling us to. He said in Luke, if any man come to me and hate not, and it's not the idea that you despise, that you're angry with, it's the idea of preferring, preferring one or the other. He says, anybody that hate not his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yea, and his own life, he can't be my disciple if he is more concerned about those things that he is serving me. What a challenge. What an what a eye-opening statement and revolutionary lifestyle to say it's more about Christ than anybody else. In fact, did he not say that the first commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy mind, and then the second commandment, love others, including family. But the first and greatest priority in our life is loving God. Let me see if I can put it this way. If you on a piece of paper right now, if you were to write down your list of priority, relationships, responsibilities. What are your priorities? If you were to write them down, most of us would say and properly say the very top of the list would be what? God? Jesus Christ? Then what would you put down? Okay, probably the spouse, family. Family could be your spouse, then underneath that, or parallel to that would be, should be underneath, would be your kids, other family members. Probably in the big things then, you would put down, you know, church could be there, job could be there, possessions could be there. Most of us, if, if, not, if not all of us, if we were to write the list, it would probably look like this, something like this, right? There's an author that, challenged, that I was reading in my personal study that just for personal edification that he challenged that even if you look at the list the way we normally do. He said, think about it and try to impress upon your mind visually. Your list shouldn't look like this. Your list should look like this. Just to help us put it in perspective. That God isn't one of the many things. God is the priority thing. Person, relationship to just help us to understand that. In fact, he's this author, uh, as he will share a little bit, he reminded me that the Bible makes it very clear, except the Lord build a house, they that labor, labor in vain. My marriage has got to be my most important earthly relationship. However, without walking with the Lord, that relationship is in danger. I can't do what I'm supposed to do without the Lord. I need the Lord. We can't parent without the Lord. We need the Lord. And so important that we focus and remember, it's got to be my walk with the Lord. 
the, I'm going to recommend this to you. This is one of the books that the young marrieds are going through in Pastor Tony's class that they're using for reference. It's, uh, it's not everything that you would say, okay, I agree a thousand percent with everything that the author, but man, is it stimulating some of the things that they have written. For instance, let me, uh, again, not to bore you, but just to help you to see how somebody else expressed it. He said this, until you relate properly to God, you won't be of much help to anyone else. People who aren't living well make matters worse by living with other people. <laughs> when two people are right with him, they'll be right with each other. As a pastor for over 20 years, I've come to the conclusion that most marriage problems are not really marriage problems first and foremost. They are problems with God. They can be traced back to one or both people having a poor relationship with God or a faulty understanding of him. An accurate picture of God is vital to a healthy marriage. It's vital to everything. And he quotes that famous author, A.W. Tozer, about walking with the Lord. He goes on further. He says, David had only one request. One thing have I asked of thee, O Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire of his temple. This is from Psalm 27. That's it. That's all David asked for. He knew this was the answer to all of his major problems. Imagine standing beside the throne of God for a moment, one instant in his presence, and everything else will feel small and insignificant. The silliness of the issues that grabbed our attentions and affections will be exposed. So David tells God that all he wants is to see him daily, to stare at him. If I could read a manuscript of your prayers over the past month, what would I see as the one thing you repeatedly asked for? Actually, you should answer that. Our prayers reveal a lot about us. Our requests show us what we treasure. Our tone reveals our opinions of Him. You don't need to go looking for God. He's right with you right now. Take time to be with Him, to gaze at Him, to praise Him. This may be a completely new experience for some of you, but get alone and with Him and ask for nothing. If you just did that, I assume that you see the importance of focusing on God above all else. If every married person would do that regularly, many problems in the family would disappear. Again, our marriage problems are usually not really marriage problems. They are heart problems. Problems we have in following the Lord. Our lack of intimacy with God causes a void that we try to feel, fill with the frailest of substitutes like wealth or pleasure or fame or attention. Like people, like even making our marriage try to be the most fulfilling relationship instead of God. Few would deny that marriages are destroyed by selfishness. At times, we all overvalue our own pursuits while ignoring the desire of God and others. But we can't cure our narcissism by trying to ignore ourselves. The solution is to stare at God. When we actually stare at Him, everything else fades to its proper place. And he goes on and writes, it's a very stimulating thought. Very challenging thought. Let me see if I can rephrase this, what I mean by that idea of having a God-focused home, a God-priority home. A God-priority person would look like this. Somebody who says, okay, God is going to be my focus in, in my relationships. It would mean that we would remember that it's about Him getting the glory. That He, not you and me, He is the one that becomes the center of attention in the home. Not me. Not you. Not the kids, not others. And I'm not de denying, okay, there's certain needs for kids. There's certain needs for the spouse. There's certain needs that have to be addressed. But overall, it's coming to a point that we realize that really God is to be getting the glory, not me. That God is the one that's supposed to be getting the biggest bulk of the attention. 
that in our conversation or in our, in our actions, it's not about me getting, getting pampered, me getting everybody else's focus, me getting my way. It's about me making sure God gets the focus, that God gets the attention, that I shouldn't be so upset when I don't get everything that I think I deserve. It's, wait a minute, it's not about me and the family. It's not about me being glorified or glamorized or me being the center of mom and dad's attention, me being the one that everybody else should cater to. A God-focused priority is saying, what I do in my home, what I do towards my parents, what I do towards my spouse is first and foremost to give God the glory. It then secondly works this way. It is obeying and pleasing him, even when I don't feel like it doing what he says I'm supposed to do, even when I don't feel like or want to do it. You know, remember, now God gives multiple commands. He gives commands that we're supposed to submit one to another. Let's talk husband and wife. Submit one to another. Meet one another's needs. He talks about the idea of loving your wives, gentlemen. Three times he commands us in Ephesians 5. Ladies, respect your husbands. He talks about you young people obeying and respecting your parents. There are moments you don't feel like it. There are moments you don't feel like loving your spouse. There are moments you don't feel like respecting them. There's moments you don't feel like obeying your parents. And you're ticked off. You're upset. You, something didn't go your way or something didn't, didn't happen the way you think it should. And you're upset. Having a God priority in your life is saying, I'm still going to do what the Bible says when I don't feel like it. I still will love. I still will honor. I still will respect. Am I hurt? Yes, but it's not going to be my emotions in charge, but rather what I'm going to do is I'm not going to let corrupt communication proceed out of my mouth. I'm not going to strike. I'm not going to hurt. I'm not going to hold bitterness for days and weeks on times. God says we're not supposed to operate this way. God says I'm supposed to be forgiving. I'm going to do this because this is what God commands me even towards the siblings, even towards the parents, even towards the kids. A God-focused life looks this way. It is, now, the, wrap your brain around this one. The greatest, the greatest, um, what word, introduction we're going to have, the greatest moment of meeting somebody is when we meet Jesus Christ for the first time, face-to-face. -face. That's going to be the most astounding opportunity for introduction that we'll have. And we're all hoping, in this room, we're all hoping that we'll hear him say, well done. Okay, it is my responsibility as a husband, as one who loves their wife, it is my responsibility as a dad who cares about where the kids are going spiritually. It is my responsibility as a grandparent who wants to see the best to do what I can so that when they have their moment to meet the Lord, I haven't hindered them from hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That I have helped them to achieve commendation. That I have assisted them, not torn them down, not given them a bad example, not been two-faced when it comes to worship here and then a different walk at home, but rather provide for the kids a consistency, an example that gives them a pattern on how to deal with trials because they're going to get rewarded based on that, how they did how to share the gospel. That's one of the rewards. How they handled temptation in their life. I should not have hindered them. I should not have stumbled them. I should not have been one putting temptation before them. But if I really cared for those people, I do everything I can to help them to become all they can be to hear the commendation of Jesus Christ. That's a God focus. 
That would change the way a lot of our conversations go at home. That would change the way a lot of the attention factor goes at home. That would change some of the activities we can get involved with. If we say, okay, I'm to strive to help my spouse to become the most spiritual person they can be. It doesn't happen by tearing them down. It doesn't happen by tearing others down and, ha- and making them a critical spirit, a person. It doesn't happen by, by them you know, being discouraged because of our discouraging attitudes. Hey, God focus. It reminds us that what we should do is help those individuals. <laughs> Somebody put it this way, planning for the future. <laughs> My plans are I stop planning. I made this illusion yesterday, and some of you at the funeral, this is what I was talking about. To me, this was one of the most provoking thoughts that this author had mentioned. He made the comment, he says, often we get really focused on preparing for our last 20 years on earth. That's what we focus on, getting our pensions, getting everything put in place, which, again, it's nothing sinful about that, but we should be more focused on getting ready for our first thousand years in heaven when we get rewards from Christ where that means that what we're going to do is we're going to help them. We're going to assist them. We're going to do what we can to help our family members grow closer to the Lord. We're going to help create opportunities for service for the Lord. We're going to not get so focused on the things of this world that really aren't going with us. But they can so easily dominate us and get us to to be so caught up with the furniture and the car that we jeopardize relationships. We're cruel with speech. We're unkind at times because of the furniture, because of the spills on the carpets. What we need to do is work on having a perspective that's a God-focused perspective, an eternal perspective. Can I add one other thought that it strikes me? It strikes me that if I'm God-focused, the greatest form of compliment is, is mimicking somebody. Flattery is to mimic them. If I'm going to have, and by the way, Scripture's calls for this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ did. Mimic Christ. It talks about wives. Just like Christ submitted to the Father, wives are supposed to submit to their husbands in 1 Corinthians 11. He calls for mimicry. He says we're supposed to act like Christ in all areas. So you and I have to step back and say, okay, if I have a God focus, if I'm thinking of eternity, if I'm thinking of Christ-likeness, if this is really my priority in my life, then... I have to choose to act like Christ when I'm tired. Or maybe we should put there when you're hangry. Or when you don't feel good. Do you act like Christ? Maybe we should add this. Do you respond like Christ when it comes to speaking with family members? Do you show patience the way Christ showed patience with family members? Do you have a graciousness, a politeness, a mannerliness the way that Jesus, and it said that they were amazed at Nazareth because he spoke with such gracious words. Is that, is that what your kids would say about you? Is that what your parents would say about you? That you are gracious. You say, well, nobody can do that. Yes, you can. You can be Christ-like the way you help family and friends. You can be Christ-like the way that, that Jesus listened to his parents. Okay, you can be an individual as Christ-like the way that you forgive the siblings that bother and bug you at times. You can be Christ-like when you, you serve one another, when you all of a sudden minister the way Jesus did. Becoming more Christ. This is making God the priority, where God is the focus. Then let's add to it just these other thoughts that we can run through quickly because they basically say everything I just said. It is letting God be promoted in your life. 
That promotion comes from that idea is blessed is he that fears the Lord. The idea is to respect, to bow before, to hold up in awe, to be quiet and submissive before him, honoring God, promoting him in what you do. To be practicing God, that you walk in his ways, the passage says. And again, we've already talked about that. Obeying, acting, doing what he commands you to do. He's the priority so that even if I feel angry, I am not going to speak those words. Even if I am hurt, I'm not going to lash out. I'm going to be forgiving. We go on and we say, okay, then God should be praised in your home. That you as a young, can, can people, can people, if they were to identify you, if relatives who knew you were to write about you right now and say, oh, I know that that young person at home, one of the characteristics of them is they are a praising individual. They have a positive spirit and attitude. Or they're always complaining. They're always finding something negative. Okay, the challenge would be, if that's the case, is not to do it. The challenge for the parents is not to portray that and give that example, but rather be praising. This psalm was that idea of, okay, we're, we're going to be praising. Remember, now, when, they're, when they started this as the psalm of, uh, part of the Song of Ascents, it was during that time period where Jerusalem had just been destroyed and it's being rebuilt. It's not beautiful yet. And yet they're praising God as they go up into the temple. They're giving, giving God glory. Everything isn't the way they want it to be yet. But God is good. God is great. We're worshiping him. And that's the attitude. Yes, are there difficulties? Sure. Are we being blind to that? No. But we're giving God honor and glory. This is the idea of a God focus. That idea of this passage of pursuing the Lord. He talks about it by just the example of not just the Psalms, but this Psalm. He's talking about the blessings that are going to come out of Jerusalem. Do you remember years ago? Do you remember years ago? Now, some of you have no clue what I'm talking about, a TV antenna. Okay. Some of you have no idea what that means. All you think a TV antenna is a cable that comes into your house. Years ago, we used to have these on the roofs, yes? Okay, we had them. And if you didn't get a good signal, what would you do? You would go up and you would turn the TV, or if you were really highfalutin, you had a button downstairs that you could push, and it would rotate the TV antenna. Do you remember? That was really high class. That you could, it was automatic rotation of the TV antenna. Okay? And Lucy, and, you know, they made fun out of these different things. And it wasn't so long ago, I don't see it as much anymore, but remember how if people didn't get a good signal? Yeah, you know, we're, we're trying to get a better signal, okay? We're trying to pursue getting that reception. In that same way, God is saying, this is the way you're supposed to be pursuing me. You're supposed to be pursuing communication with me, getting my signal, Come to worship. Come to the Word of God. Come to where I can speak to you. This is a God focus. I need, I need you, God. I need to hear from you. Somebody walking out this morning made a comment, and it was a precious comment. They said, boy, thank you for preaching the Word. I really need to be in the Word more and more. And my response to him was, all of us need to be in the Word more and more. Because I believe that's true of all of us, Yes? That we need to be more of the people of the word. But that's the idea of pursuing God. Saying, God, I want you. I want you to bless my life. I need you to bless my life. How is he going to bless you in school? How is he going to bless you in choosing a career, young person, if you never pray about it on a regular basis? How is he going to bless your family if you aren't fasting and praying for your kids? How is he going to bless your marriage if you're not praying about it? How is he going to do that? How's he supposed to do it? His design is you're supposed to come and pray to him. You're supposed to approach him. So I have to ask myself the question, am I personally worshiping him on a regular basis? 
If I want his blessings, I need to be doing this. I need to be an individual that as a family, we're thinking about worship. That as a group, we're thinking about getting involved with designated times of worship, personal worship, but following the Lord, letting him know. Let me see if I can give you the goofy negative illustration. So here this young couple is. They're deeply, madly in love. And he shows up once a week. He's got flowers. He's got something she might like. He gives them to her. And they spend a little bit of time together. And then he's gone. She knows he's around. But he's busy. He never talks to her for the next seven days. No conversation. No nothing. And all of a sudden shows up again and spends one hour with her you know, one day a week. And then he's gone. And then she never hears from him. And there's never a conversation. There's not even a response. There's not, you know, if she texts them, there's no response, no nothing. But he shows up with big smiles and he's got another gift and he's all happy and he's saying how much he loves her. Young lady, if that, that's all of you. Okay, young ladies. Okay, if that was the way your lover treated you, what would you begin to wonder? If he really loved you. If he really loved you or if he just wanted something from you. We can imagine what the something would be. Here, think about this. Does God sit back and say, I wonder if you really love me? Does God ever look at you as a teenager and say, I don't know if you really love me. You show up once a week. You show up and you're sitting there, but you're really not paying attention. You don't have time for prayer for me. You don't have time to read my word. You don't really kind of, you kind of ignore me. But you're busy doing the things that Pastor John asks you to do, you know, in TNT, but it's not from the heart, and you just kind of go through the motions. Does God wonder that about you, mom and dad? That you really love me? That you, you show up, you do the outward appearance, but your heart's not really in it? That's not a pursuit of God. Pursuit of God isn't just showing up for a formal occasion of worship. Pursuing God is from the heart that says, I really want this one thing I want. I want to be close to you. I really need you. I really want you. And I'm going to, I'm going to do what I need to do to get close to you. Number six, let's put it this way. God has to be passed on. He talks about at the end of the passage that you're going to see your grandchildren. You're going to see the blessings that are going to be shared upon your kids. You're going to see the blessings coming upon Israel. The idea is that the psalmist is encouraging that. You're you're teaching this. You're passing this on as you're marching up to the temple. You're talking God. You're portraying God. You're fearing God. Your kids are knowing your priorities. They understand what we're passing on a God love, a God focus, an eternal mindset. He says, that's the type of person that I'm going to bless. Now, you and I can talk about a lot of things. And we get excited. And I enjoy certain sports. And I got my boys, when they were growing up, we talked a lot, and even the girls. We, and we still do. We talk about you know, the, the different football seasons. And some of my kids, they have just gone off into heresy and root for other teams and the Vikings. And we can joke about that, and we can have fun with that, and that's fine. That's fine. We teach the kids that. Some of you, you teach your kids how to do some shopping. You know, and your big moment is coming up in a few weeks. You're already making plans for that wonderful shopping day called Black Friday. Some of you, you teach your kids recreation things. And this is the season for some of you to take the kids out and talk about it, and we're going to make them into a great white hunter. Some of you, you're going to make sure that they know how to cook. 
And those of us who don't know how and don't care about cooking, we are so thankful somebody learned how to cook so we can enjoy the benefits. All these things are, are, are okay. There's nothing wrong with them. And there's nothing evil about talking about them. But do you, with that same earnestness, communicate God to your kids, to your family? Do you, in that when you get that big deal on Black Friday, you text others and you're so excited about how, God how, how you were blessed, yeah, God blessed you, with a good shopping deal. But when you're convicted by the Word of God, do you ever communicate, here's what God's challenging me to do in my devotions. Here's what God is doing through the church service that I was in and how I heard this challenge. Is there an enthusiasm that way? To pass on and to display a sensitivity to the Lord. God's got to be passed on. He's got to be talked about. He's got to be shown that he is loved, he is cared for. And not just a commodity that all of a sudden we get into a routine that our kids begin to question, why do we have to go? Why do we have to go? We walk away, we don't ever talk about it, it's not changing and it's not impacting our life. So why bother? What are you passing on? What are you passing on to the family? You, you want God's blessings. I do. You do too. We want happier homes. We want better marriages. We want to be better parents. We want to have better relationships with our siblings and our parents. We want that. We, want, we don't want the, I, I, most of us don't want, the arguing and the, the tearing down or the upset in us. We don't want the, the chaos and the confusion and the conflict. That's not where we're at. We like stability. We like peace. We look around at others in church and say, they don't have any problems whatsoever. Their kids are perfect kids. Where are we going wrong? And we do that. We, 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 we look and we kind of, you know, we have a, an inner sense of, of envy towards others that everything is great in their life. They're doing so wonderful, and so I wish I had what they had. You can have it by having a God focus. You can have the blessings of God if you're the type of person that this text talks about that God can bless. If you're the individual that God is your priority, you're promoting him, you're practicing him, you're doing this, this praising of him, you're pursuing him, you're passing this, this fact of God is important in your life onto other people. He'll bless you. That's what this text is about. It's about home life being blessed by God Almighty so that people have a greater happiness and contentment with their family relationships. But it starts with God. It starts with you and your walk with the Lord. What is it like tonight? Are you close to the Lord this evening? Or do you need to back up and say, God, I've kind of strayed a little bit away. I've let other things come in between you and me. I've let work I've let problems steal my joy. I've let pressures take over and worry. You know, it's dominating my life. I let anger. All of a sudden, it's more of, a, more of the emotion than praise. I've let selfishness come into my, my walk between you and my family members where I'm just beating up everybody else in the home, and it comes back to me being right with you. That's where it starts then, you and God this evening. Father, help us to be individuals that you can bless. Help us to reevaluate our walk with you, our dedication to you, our intimacy with you, and to improve upon it so that we can create happier homes. Thank you for the simplicity of your word. 
Thank you for the profound thoughts of your word. Help us to live it out day by day, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great week.